podcast. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon, live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon. You know how freaked out I am about this? I don't even want to fill my car up with gas. What? Who knows who, who had their hand on the nozzle before I grabbed it? You I'm, on, I'm on gloves? fumes. I haven't uh, seen you wear the mask yet. No, I won't go that far. Well, you're not supposed to. It's the people that are sick wear the mask. Oh, okay. That's how it is. Indeed. Uh, uh, Scott Jockman, let's move on. We're better at sports than we are at medical. No doubt. Right? Well, some people would argue that, well, I guess. The bar's not set real high, boys. That's why you're on from 10 to noon. Scott Dockerman joins the program. Hello, Scott Dockerman. How are you? You know, I'm a little concerned after listening to your just previous uh, <laughs> conversation there. I, uh, I, guess I, I guess I just want to move on to, from away from... Uh, you know, all these uh, viruses that are out there. Uh, I'm with you. And this was always the, the people's escape, right? If they had problems in their life or whatever, uh, you know, we always had sports that we could come back. And this was kind of like uh, fantasy land, if you will, sports world. Uh, hope it yeah. stays that way, Doc. Uh, let's go back to last night. I do want to get to your piece on uh, you put on your uh, you got out your crystal ball pursuant to the Hawkeyes and the ones that are going through next month's uh, NFL draft, which may or may not be canceled in Las Vegas. Condon, yeah, <laughs> You're not yeah. paying attention. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I just threw that to see if I could get his attention. So, anyways, Doc, but we'll get to that in a second. But last night uh, in Champaign, my God. Uh, what an entertaining 40 minutes. Terrific comeback by this team. I'm not sure previous McCaffrey teams have a comeback like that in them. This is, there's something different about this team, Doc, uh, and what a way to bring the curtain down on a terrific season uh, conference-wide. Yeah, without a doubt. that uh, There have been a lot of really good games in the Big Ten this year among you know really you know 10 to 12 teams that are really uh, similar in a lot of ways, but uh, what a way to cap it, uh, to have the, the conference and probably national player of the year take a final shot and get blocked uh, in a, you know, what we're seeing now is a revived rivalry between Iowa and Illinois, uh, you know, to, to come back. Both both teams came back after big deficits. I mean, I figured Illinois would after they're down 10 in the first half, but for Iowa, when they're down 16 at that one point in the second half, I went, okay, this this one's over. It's just kind of a matter of making up some ground. But no, they had a chance to to tie and to win late. So um, a terrific game, and I think everybody wants to see the the trifecta here on Friday mm-hmm. if, if both teams can get there, or if Iowa can get there anyway. Well, it's certainly no foregone conclusion that it will happen. Iowa has struggled in the Big Ten tournament under Fran McCaffrey. Plenty of losses as a single-digit team to double-digit teams. That's who they'll see, be it Minnesota or Northwestern. Two varying levels of difficulty, I'd say, in that one. The Gopher game, they'd certainly have revenge on their mind after blowing that late lead against the Hawks Mm. up in Williams Arena here. So, guess Iowa fans, you would think, become Northwestern fans on Wednesday night. Is that fair? As the more challenging opponent, certainly, I think, if this was a 18-game season or even if they were in a different league, I think you'd see Minnesota probably be an NCAA tournament team. But that said, uh, you know, Iowa was able to do that very depleted up in up in Minnesota. 
uh, no C.J. Frederick. It was on on the road. Minnesota was at a at a better point in the season, so it was a very competitive game. I think having one in, in Indianapolis would uh, even things out and probably put Iowa ahead a little bit as far as uh, possibilities. But yeah, I've seen a ton of collapses over the years in the Big Ten tournament. In fact, uh, I've never seen Iowa play on a Saturday since I moved back to the state in 2006. So I, I do think this is a uh, this is a big time moment for the Hawkeyes. I think to get one, possibly two, uh, you know, would really help them out as far as seeding goes in the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament. Um, you know, to win four against in this type of a schedule is, is pretty challenging. Uh, but Iowa has the the team that's capable of doing it this year. I mean, in the past they had enough talent. But I wasn't, I wasn't sold on their mental makeup. This team is mentally tough. It's, it's able to engage and and fight through a lot of adversity. And even if they don't, I think once the kind of Big Ten shackles get off uh, in a week and a half for the NCAA tournament, I think this team is really capable of making a run there. Well, they certainly, I certainly like their chances of making a, a deeper run if Joe Wieskamp can get going, Doc. And what, what's your theory, theory when it comes to him? Why has his game, at least his offensive game, seemingly disappeared uh, since we turned the calendar to February? What's, what's wrong with Wieskamp in your mind? Part of the problem with a skill sport like uh, like basketball, it happens a lot in baseball where yeah you just you're thinking too much you're you're you know you're uh, just putting too much pressure on yourself. Uh, quarterbacks could do that too from time to time. Um, we all know he's very skilled and talented, and so you're kind of waiting for this breakout moment and breakout couple of shots to kind of you know shake him around. But I don't know if it's going to come or not. But I mean, they do still have a lot of faith and. In him, you know, he played the seventh most minutes in Big Ten play this year. And, uh, you know, I I do expect it to happen at some point. But, uh, you know, the the physical play has taken its toll. And I just think mentally he's gotten in that uh, groove where he he just – He's kind of doubting himself a little bit on the court. At least that's what I my interpretation is. Doc, this team likes to talk. They like to jaw. They got things to say, and Frederick's among them. McCaffrey's among them. Garza, he doesn't back down. Even Cordell Pemsel, he's a guy that's going to be out there jawing a little bit. It's a different feel. It's a different kind of team than we're used to, certainly in the nine years previous with Fran McCaffrey. As you, you look at that, it's nothing I think that you can – Maybe you can recruit that way, but what is it about this team? Is it just the guys? The guys are built that way, or is there something more going on here? This team playing with a different level of chippiness and talking throughout the course of the season. And some of that is just, it's it's about how you perform on the court, and then it's about how you feel about yourself. Now, yeah, I mean, what we saw last night, you know, towards the end of the first half, you know, if you're an Iowa fan, you've got to love that. This team is not yep. going to back down to anybody. It's not going to back down. You know, it's not going to flinch when an elbow gets thrown in their direction, even though you get a double, there's a double technical call, which is laughable. Uh, it's not going to flinch when it's on the road at a hostile environment like Illinois or any other place. So if you want to, if, if, if teams want to engage you in, in that type of way, well, so be it. You do it the same way. It happened with Wisconsin earlier in the year. It happened with Illinois now twice. It might even happen in Indianapolis. But, you know, if your team is confident and is willing to go toe-to-toe with your opponent, you've got to love that. And I think that's that's a, a difference that I've seen in this team that collectively they're that way. Before, there may have been a couple of individuals who could do that. Um, but 
but not the entire group, and then go out and drill shots in somebody's face and then tell them about it. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Scott Dockerman is our guest. Doc, I don't know if you stuck with the Big Ten Network after the game and listened to the press conferences or not, but McCaffrey, I thought, was a real creative way of of a a, a journalist reporter asking uh, Fran McCaffrey about the officiating in the game, and he was asking, I'm paraphrasing, um, and, and Trent brought it up earlier in a question to me kind of the same way, is it better when for Iowa when the game is called you know, really ticky-tack, or whether they let them play and get away with all that they let them get away with last night. What is a, what is the best way for Iowa to advance? Do you want those? I mean, clearly there was holding all over the, all over the floor last night, specifically CJ Frederick at the end of that game was held all across the, uh, all across the court by, uh, uh, by Fraser. But regardless of that, what's the best way for Iowa to go on? Do you want those, you know, do you want the ticky-tack fouls to be called or just let them play? it depends on which we're talking about here i think in the big 10 tournament you want it to be called because every other team is more physical than iowa uh, iowa will get people's face but iowa does not play a physical brand of basketball at least compared to you know half a dozen teams purdue and illinois being among them and penn state so you what you want is uh you know those balls fouls get called earlier now when you switch it to the other tournament where teams are a little bit more like Iowa, then you then you want them to play a little bit because Iowa can kind of adapt to be the more physical team on the floor when they're not playing against you know teams of brute strength the way that the Big Ten is. So I, I would say it's really two different styles. Um, you know, last night, yeah, as you mentioned, very very physical game. Illinois tried to make it physical in Iowa City, but got called for it a lot. Um, this time they didn't. That tends to happen on the road in the Big Ten. So you've got to overcome it the best you can. Uh, in the Big Ten tournament, it'll probably be a little more even that way. But but still, um, the problem with them is they have such a short bench. And if you get somebody like a Garza or or Frederick with a you know two fouls in the first half, the next thing you know, you know the way Fran plays them, you know they're on the bench largely for the rest of the half. And then sometimes they're ineffective the rest of the game. So with an eight man rotation, I think it's tough to to get into that war of attrition. Best path for this Iowa team? Do you think it's better to be, obviously, the better seed, the better? I mean, you're five seed, you win a couple of games here, that's a better path than being a six or a seven. You look at those teams in that three, two, three seed range, though. Villanova, Duke, Creighton, Seton Hall, anybody that you've looked at nationally, you think Iowa, boy, that round of 32 matchup, I think Iowa can win that game, a game that they certainly will be a Vegas underdog. Yeah, I think they've got a chance in a lot of these matchups. I, I, I do think too. A lot of it, it's going to. A lot of it's going to depend on opponent and location and style of play. I mean, the worst possible draw for me would be Duke and Greensboro. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Krzyzewski always gets his uh, his calls. Yes, always. I, I was I covered the game against Wisconsin for the national title, oh. and in the second half, it just flipped. The officiating <laughs> completely changed in Duke's favor. It was not called the same way one half over the other. And then, uh, so I, I would say, don't go to Greensboro and play Duke. Outside of that, um, if they're a six seed, I, I don't have any qualms with saying that Iowa can compete. I mean, if they're playing Creighton and St. Louis, um, you know, they got a really good chance there. Now, you know, the four five, you know, the four five, that, that would be interesting only if, um, who's the one, because I do mm-hmm. think this is a sweet 16 capable team. So, you know, who, who's the one? Where do they play? If they play in Indianapolis against somebody, um, man, you know, they're not going to have any fear there. 
so I, I think a matchup and location does matter, but I think largely they can hang with anybody. Hmm. Wisconsin, Maryland, Michigan State all share the conference, uh, uh, the regular season conference crown. Doc, of those three, uh, of those three, who's the more likely to make a long run uh, in the NCAA tournament? Is it Michigan State because of Izzo? They've got the point guard to do it, and we've seen that the tournaments uh, based on point guards play a lot of cases, and Cassius Winston's as good as there is in the country. So I'm definitely going there. I mean, Maryland always has great talent, um, and I'm you know they finally won. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finally won the Big uh, Big Ten regular season crown. But uh, you know, do you really trust Turgeon to get this team to the Final <laughs> Four? I'm not. I'm not there yet. Um, you know, they got great talent. I mean, Smith and Cowan are as good as there is. Wow. But um, and then Wisconsin. Um, they're they're kind of like Iowa in a lot of ways. Where man, that they really play hard late in the year. They lost their top, their leading scorer. They had all kinds of issues with Brad Davison and you know Greg Gard, who I think, is, in my opinion, would be coach of the year in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Just uh, you know, did an outstanding job. They won a lot of games late. They're going to be able to, to fight and battle with a lot of teams. I'm just not sure that they're more than a 16 team. Whereas I, I look at Michigan State, they can go all the way, you know, to the Final Four. And Maryland, they've got enough talent to do it. I'm just not told that they can do it. Going to be a fun, fun mm-hmm. run. So, with the athletic football, that's your main beat. That's that's why you're at the athletic. But do you know are you going to be traveling with the Hawkeyes, regardless of where they go to the tournament? Doesn't matter matter where they're going. Do you know? Have your marching orders because a week from today, well, we'll talk to you next, and we'll be talking about a bracket in front of us and where the Hawkeyes are playing. Yeah, I mean. I'll- Iowa. I mean, I'm going to be doing, you know, writing about football, and, and that's so. I, yeah, I'm not doing any NCAA tournament okay. stuff. So, it my marching orders are stay home, and uh, I got a couple of football stories to work on. Well, you put one out over the weekend, Doc. You got your crystal ball out. Not only what round these guys are going to be drafted in, but who's going to take them. And if there's some Hawkeye fans that uh, on Sunday they're Vikings fans, and there's certainly a lot of those, might be a couple of uh, former Hawks, according to you, will be playing to the north of us here up in the the Twin Cities with the Vikings. Uh, How difficult an exercise was it to get through this? And I mean, the first two you got to think are pretty easy, right? Wirfs and Epinezer, they're first rounders. It's just trying to ticket when they're going. But after that, that second day into day number three gets a little hectic. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, I, I kind of mocked, if you will, five different players to five different locations, which, you know, but what I try to do is really dig inside the numbers, look at the team, look at their salary cap space, you know, what are they needing, and then how does Iowa's players fit there? So there's a lot to it rather than just, uh, you know, team needs cornerback in the third or fourth round, Michael Ojemudia fits there. You know, when I, as you mentioned, you know, the two guys that I have slotted going to the Vikings um, are Michael Ojemudia and, and Nate Stanley. And, and part of that isn't just because, uh, you know, they play positions of need. I mean, the Vikings could really use now a cornerback. They had great safety play, but not very good corner play. Uh, they, they play a lot of zone, which Michael Ojemudia did here. And their salary cap space is really, really tight. So they're going to have to need a a couple of their draft picks to come in and make an impact and, and play right away. And, and Ojemudia, you know, he has the, the measurables, he has the, uh, the, the combine numbers to, to go in and compete right away, understands the system, can play for a guy like Mike Zimmer. And then Nate Stanley, the same boat, which is, uh, again, this team was so strapped financially. 
Um, and it has Kirk Cousins, who, um, you know, we all saw at Michigan State. And, then, of course, with Minnesota, he's a good player. Nate Stanley's numbers are almost identical to him in every category, you know, both statistically and then in the combine. So, uh, you know, and with that, again, this team can't afford to go out and buy, you know, or come on, go out and pay, you know, Marcus Mariota $5, 6000000 million a year to be a backup quarterback. So it's going to need somebody to come in and be that player, and I think he fits. He fits the scheme. They run a zone football scheme, a running scheme. Well, Iowa does too. Uh, he's a smart player. It's in a market where he wouldn't be expected to play right away, uh, barring an injury, of course. I, I think it would be a great fit for him. You know, the the two, the, the prominent two, you know, Epineza and Wirfs, it, it's really going to come down to, to kind of where they fit in the pecking order. And, but I, you know, because I think they could fit just about anywhere. Um, but, you know, like with Epineza, you know, he's a guy that if you're Buffalo or somebody, I actually had him going to the Dolphins with the 18th pick. You know, he's a Cameron Hayward type of player. He's going to be big and physical up front. He's going to stop at the line of scrimmage. He's versatile, um, and he's going to create or enhance your culture. And then Tristan Works has so much upside. Uh, I look at, like, say, Arizona with Kirk, uh, with Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, what a perfect type of player for that system because it's everything's so speed-based. And you to have a great athlete like that who can move, I think you'd want that. Plus, they have a... They just signed their left tackle, who's not great, but good enough to fill in at left tackle while Worf catches up before they flip sides. Doc, as you look at the guys that are more than likely be free agents, maybe it'll be a sixth or seventh rounder, but from Weeding to Christian Welch, Sleep Dalton the punter, Brady Ross, Cedric Lattimore, that group of guys, who do you think has the best opportunity to carve out a five, six, seven-year career? I think it's Christian Welch. I think he reminds me a lot. I mean, not necessarily stylistically, but, you know, ability-wise, he's a lot like uh, Ben Neiman. You know, he's big, tall, mm. fast, smart, uh, you know, athletic. Uh, can do a lot of different things. Really came along late in his career. He was a four-year player, not a five. You know, he's 6'3", almost 240. Um, you know, so I think he could play special teams for anybody in the NFL. And I think he's got enough position ver- versatility that he can play sub-packages. He can play different linebacking spots. So I, I think he's the type of guy that you know, chances are he's probably going to get signed as an undrafted free agent. I doubt teams will take a, a, a chance on him late, but they might. And then if the uh, if he makes a camp, or goes to the camp, he's going to be one of those players that's going to be hard to cut because he could just do so many different things for him. Um, you know, so I, I would say he's probably the one that I would put in that category. But you know, Nate Weeding will serve a purpose in camp because he can block, and a lot of teams can't do that. Uh, so teams like to keep guys like that around, possibly even on practice team. Brady Ross, you know, the NFL is kind of shortening the, you know, the, the you know, the not a lot of fullbacks. On, yeah. On fullbacks, yeah, and, and so, but he's quality guy, and and Lattimore is a guy that's been was really underrated, and so I think he's got a chance to to you know compete and and possibly be on a practice team late in his career or late this year. Uh, a great uh, comparison on web with Ben Neiman. Look, I I certainly didn't think that this guy was going to be able to carve out a career in the NFL. Not only that, he's got a Super Bowl ring for his work with the uh, the Chiefs this past season. Scott Dockerman, we will have brackets in front of us when we talk next week. Appreciate you coming on Scott Dockerman from the Athletic. Thanks doc. Thank you so much. Yeah, Appreciate good it. Good to talk to you, Scott Dockerman, as we move ahead here. Uh, Bleacher Report's Carrie Miller will join us. We'll go around college basketball from a national perspective. Look forward to that. Shelby Mast, our bracketologist tomorrow. I have something for you here. 
You were talking about uh, hand sanitizer. Stuff. Oh, no, no, nothing there. Nothing there. You'll be fine. <laughs> so the updated odds now to win the Big Ten and Big Twelve. Okay. We talked about this a lot last yes, week, obviously we with the MVC. So let's get into it and uh, start with the Big Twelve. Kansas, you still get them at plus money, plus one ten. That's stealing. I th- I think so too. Baylor. Well, Baylor's, Trent, Baylor's going the wrong now? way. I finally jumped on their bandwagon. They haven't won since. <laughs> <laughs> West Virginia, that no, team? Terrible. Texas Tech? Nah. They're going to win three games in a row? No. Texas? I win a couple. No, Texas just got clobbered this weekend. You still can get the Jayhawks at plus 110? That, that's where you go. I, I think Short so. price, but you know what? You open wide and you swallow. Neither you of us your like to take big favorites. No. This is the time to do it. Big 10. Still Maryland and Michigan State at that same plus 350, mm-hmm. 7 to 2. I don't see much value there. Uh, not on Maryland. Because it's kind of a coin flip, I think, between yeah. those two, and they'll play each other. They play in yeah, the they're, they're two and the three. So remember when I told you I got the Badgers at 20 to 1? You're looking good. What are they now? 4 to 1. Wow. Yeah, feeling good about that. Michigan, 6 to 1. Nope. nope. No. They have to win four games in four days. I don't see it. I was also 8 to 1, along with Ohio State, Penn State. And here's Illinois still at 14 to 1. And they've got they they're one of four schools that don't play till Friday. It is legal in our state. I'm going to do it right now. I don't blame you. While you do that, punch the break button first. Okay, and then we'll come back and we'll talk to Kerry Miller from Bleacher Report. We'll go around college basketball. Trent and I take you until noon. Miller and Condon, thanks for being with us. Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty KXNO. One in building. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO with you here until noon. Talk college basketball from a national perspective. We've localized it all morning long. Why wouldn't we? But let's kind of branch out a little bit beyond the state's borders. Kerry Miller, Bleacher Report. He joins the program, although we have to ask him about his take on Illinois, Iowa last night. Ooh. What a great way to end the uh, the Big Ten season. Just an emotional, spirited game, Kerry. Uh, some testiness in there. The rivalry between Iowa and Illinois looks as though it's back, and we may see it again in Indianapolis on Friday if Iowa gets past the Gophers. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm doing well and you know it was certainly fun to see, you know, Io and Luca kind of going toe to toe, two of the best players in the country at you know, programs that are usually a little overlooked. Uh, but I don't think that's the case this year. <laughs> yeah, both teams uh certainly I think with the right path can make a run certainly into the sweet second weekend and maybe even deeper than that. This Illinois team, Ken and I Ken Certainly saw them earlier in the year, and he was on them earlier than I was. But as the seasons, his seasons progressed, I like the pieces here, and it's not just about Coburn, and it's just not about DeSumo. Some of those other pieces can step up. Frazier hasn't shot it well lately, but you know he can get help. Felice, he, he's just kind of that Swiss Army knife inside. Illinois, again, we don't have the bracket. We'll have it in a week here. But is this a team that can make a run, dare I say, to a Final Four? Do you see that kind of components out of the squad? I do. Uh, they were my preseason sleeper pick, them and uh, Providence, which mm. didn't look good for a while, but looks yeah. good now. Yes, uh, sure. Providence is surging. But they were, they were the two teams outside the AP Top 25 in the preseason that I thought could really make a deep run. Um, and you know, mostly because of the DeSumo and Coburn combo. Obviously, we hadn't, hadn't yet seen Coburn at the college level, but you know, 
seven foot kid from what Kingston, Jamaica, I think, uh, you know, obviously of quite the physical specimen. Um, but yeah, uh, a few weeks ago I did a, um, like a sleeper rankings piece, looking at all the teams at the time that were projected for a six seed or worse. And I had Illinois at number one on my list for that for mm-hmm. teams who can make a deep run. I do think they have final four potential when, when they're getting, uh, contributions from, you know, those other guys, like you said, Frazier and Felice, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like a, a Maryland or a Michigan State in that regard where they have that great point guard center combo. You just don't know what the second tier is going to give you. Now that Michigan State's consistently getting that contribution from guys like Rocket Watts, Aaron Henry, we think they're once again a legitimate national contender. So if Illinois gets those contributions from its second tier, they're, they're right there with them. Indeed. You know, I want to ask you, get your, just your take from a national perspective on you and I. We both, uh, Trent and I both feel like it's, it's, it's a very difficult path now for the, for the Panthers, uh, to get back into the NCAA tournament. I hate the way conferences do it. And this isn't sour grapes just based on Friday's result as they got picked off by Drake. But it seems like the conferences that award their bid to the conference tournament champion in a lot of ways kind of, you know, telling us that the regular season really doesn't mean much because as good as Northern Iowa was, uh, and they were really good, and Loyola was too, both of those schools losing out gives them no path uh, to NCAA tournament postseason. Are the conferences doing it the right way, or do they maybe um, need to look at not tricking it up like the the West Coast Conference, but they kind of do, right? They they put their first and second seeds into the semifinal. Are conferences like the Valley hurting themselves the way that they do it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, one thing I have suggested in the past to, you know, I, I didn't like what the Ivy League used to do where it just gave it to the regular season champ. I like having something towards the end to play for. So I think something that would be kind of innovative is you still have the conference tournament, but if the one seed doesn't win at all, they get sort of a, a second chance, uh, a road game against whoever does win the tournament. Um, so, you know, Northern Iowa would now get to play at uh, Bradley for a, a second chance to get that automatic bid. Mm. I don't know if anybody would ever do that. I don't know how it would work logistics-wise, but I think that would kind of incentivize the number one seeds a heck of a lot more than it does now. Um but as far as you and I's at-large case is concerned, you guys are huge East Tennessee State fans tonight. Because I think if, if ETSU gets that automatic bid, Northern Iowa is really the only mid-major in the at-large conversation right now. I think that would help them because you know, we, we've seen in the past where there's you know, four or five teams like this, the number one seeds in the, the 50 range in the RPI or net um, and they just all get left out because the committee can't decide between them. But if Northern Iowa is the only one, maybe they get in instead of the seventh Pac-12 team or the sixth Big 12 team. Mm, that, that's intriguing and something good to think about there is because we hear this from the mid-majors, that we're always left out, those kind of things. And maybe because there's only one that you can go to, certainly makes sense. Harry Miller from Bleacher Report joining us here. You mentioned the Big 12 and maybe that's sixteen. Is this a de facto play-in game? Texas, Texas Tech in the 4-5 game. Winner, you're going to the NCAA tournament and you'll get your shot in the semis against Kansas. Loser, have fun in the NIT. Hmm. I don't know if it's quite the losers out, but I do think the winner's in. I think it's winner gets in, loser is just shoveling antacids down their throat for the next three days, sweating out Selection Sunday. Um, Especially if it's Texas, uh, because they're metrics are hideous. I, 
it's it's crazy how far apart Texas and Texas Tech are in the uh, the net rankings. I think Texas is like 69, and Texas Tech is 22, and they don't feel like that they're that far apart. Obviously, they're four and five in the Big 12 tournament, but yeah, that's that's a huge game. I mean, pretty much every conference has at least one game where it's going to feel like that, where the winner gets in and the loser's in trouble, but I think that's going to be the, the biggest one of the week. Hmm. Kerry, does it feel to you, and I know the metrics love Baylor, um, they, they still do, boy, if, if, if I end up in, in their bracket uh, and they're a one seed, I, I'd love the luck of the draw that came my way. I just Baylor does not feel like they deserve the way they're playing down the stretcher. This does not feel like a one seed to me. Yet they're still in uh, everybody's on everybody's top line. Are you surprised by that? Uh, I'm not surprised because it's it's really more so a product of nobody else is rising to the occasion. Uh, you know, we've got Dayton has now probably supplanted uh, San Diego State because they lost. The Mountain West mm-hmm. Conference tournament. Yep. Um, you know, it, it, right when San Diego State suffered that first loss to UNLV, it was like, all right, well, now it's either going to be Maryland or Florida State or Duke. And then all those teams immediately lost multiple games to drop back out of the conversation. Right. So I still think uh, a Creighton or a Florida State, if they win their tournaments, could jump up and take that one seed from, from Baylor or Dayton or from somebody, um, especially if Baylor loses in the quarterfinals of the Big 12. But yeah, of the one seeds right now, I think they are kind of the the weakest, um, and that's that's hard to say about a team that started twenty five and one or whatever it was. But they just have never really put it together on offense. Um, you know, really good on defense. I'm amazed they've been this good on defense in a transitional year from the two three zone to now man to man. They're one of the best defenses in the nation. Uh, I thought it would go the opposite way. Teams that usually play man would go zone. Now that we've got the deeper three-point arc, and they'd be the best. But Scott Drew's done an amazing job there. They just they just can't score that consistently. Kerry, it feels at this point where we're pretty locked in. We know at least the seed range for most everybody. You know, yeah, Creighton, they win here and get a little help. Maybe they can jump all the way up there. But it's within a seed. But when you get into that middle tier, teams in that five, six, seven, eight seed range, something like that, is there a team that you feel still has a ton of variance that can make a big run up here and go a projected seven seed all the way up to a four, something like that? Is there any team that jumps out to you? I know right now you're working on your bracketology that'll come out tomorrow on Bleacher Report. Yeah, I'll tell you, those those seeds are the ones that always kill me in the bracket matrix. Like I can nail the one through fours, but I'm all over the map on the six through ten yeah. every year. Um, but you know, one team that fits that bill kind of probably Arizona because they're the most mind-boggling resume yes, you know they've been top 15 in the net pretty much all season and nobody really thinks they're a top 15 team but if they happen to win the pac-12 tournament if it happens to come you know with a championship win over oregon i'm not sure if that's the the path they'd be able to take i think they might beat them in the semifinals so if they beat oregon and then go on and destroy an arizona state or ucla they could probably jump you know right now they're looking like a seven they could probably jump up to a four just because the metrics have been so enamored with that team for so long. Uh, Texas Tech, another one too. You know, we talk about they might be on the wrong side of the bubble if they lose uh, to Texas, but if they win that game, then they beat Kansas and Baylor. Oh my God, they they might be a three seed because <laughs> their metrics would finally be backed up by some quality wins. Hmm. Uh, Kansas uh, still in your mind the best of the team to beat, I guess, uh, uh, in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, I think they're they're head and shoulders ahead of the crowd right now. Um, 
Gonzaga is still you know very good, although mm-hmm. often forgotten in the West Coast Conference. Then I think Michigan State has certainly yep. risen up. They're probably the the looking like the second best uh, national championship contender among the major conference teams. When you look at the conferences and you go through, you got the top end with Kansas Baylor in the Big Twelve. The depth of the Big Ten, Big East, also a lot of depth there. How do you measure a conference when you're looking at who is the best conference? A lot of people, it strictly comes down to what happens in the NCAA tournament. Kerry, how, and, and maybe another question that goes a little bit deeper, why does this t- continue to go into a conversation? I don't get people that are just a fan of their conference. Hey, my team stinks, but my conference is really good. Right. I'm talking about Vanderbilt football fans, a big part of that. The conference <laughs> supremacy, it is a weird conversation. Yeah, every year I do. Uh, preseason and postseason conference rankings, and it's always it's so subjective. Um, you know, you look at the the ACC. You got three, maybe even four now, with Virginia uh, really surging uh, Final Four contenders. Whereas, you know, I don't think anybody in the Pac-12 is really a Final Four contender. But the Pac-12 might get half of its conference in, and the ACC might get less than a third of its conference in. So, which is really more important to you? I, I think having that that depth is better. So to me, the big 10 is hands down the best conference this year with, I think they still have 12 teams in the Ken Palm top 40, which is Mm, just phenomenal. Um, Obviously the, the bottom two are not very good and they're, they've been free wins for the top 12 pretty much all season long. But um, yeah, that was really what the the formula was for the big 12 when it was the best conference for most of the past decade is just having, you know, if you have just one bad team, uh, and everybody else is pretty good, you, you end up just trading quality wins all season long, and everybody looks good as a result. Uh, Kerry Miller, Bleacher Report, your bracket comes out tomorrow, did you say? I hope so. We'll see if the widgets are working. i got to work on that later today. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, should have a, a live uh, updating bracket throughout the rest of the week up until Selection Sunday. Good stuff. Thank you, Kerry. Appreciate it. You got it. Take care. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Uh, Kerry Miller from Bleacher Report. Did you see uh, Hoiberg had to suspend Cam Mack, arguably his best player? No. Yeah, he suspended him for the final. Now, he did for the final regular season. I don't know if he did so for Indianapolis or not. There was two. The other kid that was suspended, his name, I, I, I can't pull it. But I know Cam Mack was part of it. Conduct detrimental to the team. Going in to take out Indiana, Indiana in Indianapolis. Right. And we talked to Sip about this. Last time we had Sip on, Mack had been suspended. Right. Right. He didn't start or he didn't play the first half or whatever. Um, not not a good sign. All right. We'll come back. We'll finish things up. Miller and Condon with you till noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Across the state. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, Miller and Condon, final couple of minutes here on a Monday. Murph and Andy coming up today at uh, 2 o'clock, Fanatics at 4. thought I saw a note that there is an Iowa State Coaches Show tonight at oh, okay. 
I think I saw a tweet from Iowa State Wrestling that uh, Dresser's going to be on. At, so I'm assuming the entire show will be on. It is 6.30 there to 8 go. o'clock right here on KXNO. Good stuff. Your coverage of the... We'll have score updates brought to us by Grinnell Mutual throughout the tournament. But uh, your coverage tomorrow night with the late game, correct? Yep. It'll be Ankeny Centennial against Davenport North. 8.15 tip time on that one. Take the airwaves after Barnstormers Weekly. 8 o'clock with a little pregame leading into the number one seeded Jack. Jaguars looking for a first-ever title in boys basketball after the split. Ankeny High then will play on Wednesday morning at 10.30, followed by Dowling Catholic in their matchup uh, in the final quarter. Final, of course, Waukee game one, 6.30. We'll also have updates on that one throughout. And as the teams move on, we'll stay with them play-by-play all the way through the championship. Fingers crossed on Friday night. Hmm. There's got to be a local. Involved, no, I right? would think so. I would think so. So just real quick, we didn't talk about the but the girls uh, the girls uh, championship. Oh man, must have been a dinger, right? Back it and really forth. was incredible performance out of Johnston that Dragon Squad. You know, watching Maya McDermott for four years, watching Kendall Need for four years, watching Maddie Mock for three years. This group of seniors that have gone through some real tough losses at the state tournament in the past. They had a big year lead a year ago, lost in overtime to Valley. And to finally see those girls break through and get that moment against Waukee, rival. They've now beat Waukee, though, four consecutive times. Just seemingly has their number. Kind of we talked about Purdue having Iowa's number. Same thing here, Johnston. They get the championship. It was a really, really great tournament run out of Johnston. A great season overall for them and great careers for those three seniors. Good to see them go out in that fashion. It was a really fun tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully we get the same kind of one with a lot of locals involved here on the boys' side now. Well, fingers crossed indeed. You know, uh, you're right about that theory that uh, one team's got another team's number. You and I had Drake number all year long, too. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Until last Friday. <laughs> then Friday happened, and their uh, tournament hopes went down the drain. Well, Shelby Mass will join us tomorrow. We'll ask Shelby, another bracketologist, bracketwag.com, if he sees a path, what needs to happen. I like Kerry Kerry's Miller. Theory, uh, that so theory. it's Wofford, East Tennessee tonight at what time? Six o'clock. That's is the that the ESPN game? I think it is. If it's not ESPN, it's ESPN 2. It's one of the two. It will be on there. In fact, I have the Cronin. A uh, uh, guy that we haven't had on this year, but we used to a lot, Chris Dobertine. Yeah, I remember that Peralt name? has him on a lot. Yes, he's awesome. He has a breakdown basically every day when you wake up, every game, televised, ESPN+. Plus. Streaming on a school website, What's whatever his it site? is. Blogging the bracket is blogging the bracket. Good memory there. Yep, bloggingthebracket.com is where you can find it and a breakdown of everything day after day. Each conference tournament, updated brackets every day. Does a really good job in that, and it is ESPN for the Southern Conference East Championship. Tennessee State and Kerry said root against them. Correct? Right. No, no, no. For East Tennessee to do it because they might have also an at-large profile if they would lose, but if not. You and I is the only, only hope for a mid-major. And the committee might say, you know, we got to throw these little guys at least a bone. Panthers going to Dayton. Then. It's a good theory. Well, I don't know if I believe year. it. It did for Belmont. Indeed yeah. it did. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Murph and Andy come your way at 2. Thank you for being here with us today. Of course, the Fanatics at 4. And tomorrow, local programming will start at 6 a.m. with the Morning Rush. We're Miller and Condon. Happy birthday, noon. Jessa. I know she's listening right now. My happy, cousin. Happy birthday, Jessa. <laughs> See ya.